All right, fatties, welcome back to the Food Beast Catch-Up. Today we're catching up with John Parlett, the founder of John's Incredible Pizza Company. So I went to John's Incredible last night. Uh, they have a location in Westminster. It's absolutely it's huge, massive. Dude. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it, one of the biggest restaurants I've ever been. It feels in. like a square block when you kind of walk in and see it. And it's indoor, like an yeah, indoor, indoor square bar. Yeah. Like, okay, so let me paint the picture for those that haven't been like me at, uh, before yesterday. Uh, it's it's got to be over 50,000 square feet. It's the size of a football field, completely indoors. There's an all-you-can-eat buffet. There's pizza, pasta, nachos, fried chicken, baked potatoes, desserts. Um, there's themed dining rooms based on what you're into or your age. There's, there's a room playing Disney Channel shows. Uh, I was in a different room when they were playing Fortnite stuff, competitions on TV. Uh, there's a sports room, a cabin-themed room with, with beer right on the outside. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and once you're done pillaging the buffet, uh, there's a massive arcade and like indoor rides like real rides real though. rides like roller yeah. coasters at some locations the one i had that we went to had the twister twister bumper cars like yeah. it's insane i've never seen this much indoors In indoors yeah uh, so john opened the first john's incredible pizza company back in 97 there's now 15 locations across multiple states there's thousands of employees and it's Genuinely one of the most interesting dining experiences I've had in some time. So, John, I want to hear so much more. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Aruth. Editor-in-chief. And... Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Just let me get this out of the way. It's called John's Incredible Pizza. You really fancy yourself a good pizza man. Huh? <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 we had to add something to it. John's is not the most dynamic thing. I, we were really, we worked really hard to come up with that name, so we had to add something to it. The incredible seemed to work. I love the branding. That's uh, being facetious aside, but have you always been into pizza? How did the, how did that start? Uh, many many years ago, I had a pizza restaurant in the Upper Mojave Desert in Ridgecrest, California. How long ago was that? Oh, a long time ago. <laughs> I, I, I opened it in 72. 72. Wow. Was it in the family at all, or was that just something no, you decided to start? No, I was in the chicken business prior to that. I ran a Colonel Sanders Kentucky Fried Chicken store back in the Midwest in Rapid City, South Dakota. So you're a franchisee of a KFC? I, I, no, I was just an employee. Just an employee, okay. I, I, I managed this location, Okay. and um, and then they promoted me to an area guy, and I lived in... in um, um, another part of the state and traveled all over and opened stores but I met some people in Aberdeen, South Dakota that had a pizza parlor called Lou and Lou's Italian Villa Lou's Italian Villa it was a husband and wife team Lou and Ron Brick was their name and uh, I joined the Aberdeen Restaurant Association met them became friends of theirs was impressed with what they'd done I became a customer at their restaurant and said I'm gonna move to California and do my own thing and would you help me hmm 
they're just friends. I, they're not family, they're not anything. Yeah. But they were good, generous, giving people, and they said, if you're crazy enough to do it, <laughs> we'll help you. So I would go down there and work for nothing at night after I closed the Colonel Sanders store yeah. to learn the business. And literally, they shared their recipes with me, and I packed my bags and moved to Ridgecrest, California, out on the upper Mojave Desert, and opened our first location there uh, 2,000 square foot on a side street because that's all we could afford at the time. What does that pizza parlor look like or what did it look like? It's gone through several iterations. It's still there, by the way. Okay, nice. And we opened it as called John's Pizza Parlor. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't as creative back then. And we ultimately, over the years, um, grew it, expanded it, and, and renamed it John's Pizza, Pasta, and Ice Cream Parlor. And we were one of the first people to... I, I really liked what the um, uh, the Cold Stone people were doing with ice cream, and so we added our own um, unique ice cream parlor to it. And we had the, what they called the uh, White Mountain Freezers, where you What's make that? the ice cream with the rock salt and, oh, and wow. ice. I mean the original the original deal, and then added our own ingredients to it. And so we done that, and and over the years expanded and done. Like I say, pizza, pasta, and ice cream, and specialized in that in this small city of twenty thousand people. So is John's incredible pizza just a domino effect of going from a side street, 2,000 square foot pizza parlor into pizza, pasta, ice cream, and more to like, is that, did it just end up there or was there a moment where you're like, I want to do something really different in entertainment? Yeah, I guess there was a moment. I've retired once, <laughs> and I had been in business for like 20 years, and, and business was good to me, and I'd done several things. I had a movie theater and a bowling center and a computer company, and 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 had really enjoyed myself doing a lot of different things, retired, went golfing every day, and thought that was the next phase of my life. Man, you were glassing over some crazy yeah. things just now. <laughs> yeah, this casual flex, uh, on a movie theater on this side, Bowling computer alley. company. Yeah. Wait, I don't wanna go too far back, but it's so fascinating to me. You, so you had success with this pizza parlor. Mm-hmm. Um, and first of all, Jeff and I geek out all the time on kind of the nostalgia of the classic pizza parlor. Yeah. And even to me it was, you know, we have our own smaller pizza parlors here in Orange County that we grew up on. Even Pizza Hut back in the day was more of a yeah. establishment you yeah. could go to and enjoy as a salad bar. Yep. Um, but so that pizza, original pizza parlor that that you opened here in California, gave you some level of success, and you parlayed that? And what was the next business right after the pizza? Oh, gosh, I'll have to think back on that. I, I, well, I opened another one. I opened one in Victorville as well. And then I, I used to, I loved to ski, and I used to ski in, in Mammoth, so we opened one up there, so I had three of them. <laughs> and, and, um, and then I opened up um, the, I was kind of the local, entertainment guru of a small city. I built a five-screen movie theater there. I built a 32-lane bowling center there. Um, I started my computer company there and um, developed a product called Rapid Fire that was ultimately sold nationally. What does Rapid Fire do, or what did it do? It was a product, it was back in the day when everybody used fixed, like an NCR, cash register, whatever. PCs were just coming about back in the day, and, and, and a friend of mine was a talented developer, and he, he was a good customer of mine, and I convinced him to help me write a program 
that I could do a better job of taking pizza orders. Oh, wow. Back in the day, a third of our business was delivery. And it was driving me crazy. We were screwing up on a lot of our deliveries. They were either pricing it wrong or writing the order down wrong or something. Yeah. And so I said, Jim, we need to do something about this. And so he and I sat down with my ideas and his brains and developed this product called Rapid Fire. And, and back in the day, they didn't have touchscreens. This was pre-touchscreen days. But they had a thing called a light pin. And if you bought a, monoc- uh, a color monitor, back in the day, everybody had a monochrome monitor. But if you bought a color monitor, it had a... Um, a board on the bus slot that you could plug in a light pin and basically that light plan, light pin if you touch the screen it would it would it would re- reply back an xy coordinate a, a pixel position yeah somewhere on the screen and then we would convert that pixel position into a pepperoni mushroom or whatever it was pretty cool wow. no, no one had ever done anything like this and it worked and so we ultimately started a company called china lake systems because I lived in Ridgecrest, California, which was home of the China Lake Naval Weapons Center, so I'm pretty creative with my naming here. (laughs) (laughs) And and ultimately started selling the product nationally. And that was a fun thing. We'd done that for several years as well. That's huge. And then you sold that company. I did. I sold it to... my two of my first employees one was a great salesman he could sell an ice box to an eskimo in a windstorm (laughs) and the other guy was a programmer and and i sold after five years um i sold it to glenn and um and kevin and they ultimately moved the company to portland oregon and really put it on the map then and uh there kevin ultimately bought um glenn out and sold the company to um Radiant Systems out of Atlanta, Georgia, many years ago for millions of dollars, and he's retired flying airplanes around. I'm still working, so I'm <laughs> trying to figure that part out. You got the shit into that stick, huh? <laughs> yeah. You win some, you lose some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so fascinating. So you were using was it was all that cash to open up, you know, the bowling alley and the movie theater? Was that coming from the pizza parlor? For the most part, you know, we were had the pizza parlor for several years. We were very successful with it. I became friends with a pharmacist there in town that did it quite well, and then a heating and air conditioning guy. That, that, two friends of mine. I said, mm-hmm. "Look, this town needs a movie theater," and so the two guys threw in with me to build the movie theater, and yeah. and we leased the equipment, done whatever he needed to do to get it open. Yeah, and we opened it with a twin because the bank wouldn't loan us any more money than that. Mm. And they said, we're crazy because there's a video rental store on every corner and the movie industry is going to be gone. You'll, you'll never make it anyway. Yeah. And ultimately, so we built a twin and then um, a year and a half later, we went back to that same bank and said, look, we want to add three more screens. And, and we did. There you go. And, and ultimately, they found that the, the irony of this is that people thought that the video rental stores in every corner was going to kill the industry and it done the opposite because instead of making a couple hundred major productions a year. It went to a couple thousand over the years simply because of the advent of the other, the other income coming in. Yeah. And they always would honor the movie industry first with, with a release. Right. Before it would come out on video. And so that's... What, what foresight? That's crazy. John, at one point... Well, so what's the timing? I think it's something around 90, 97 is when... We done John's, yeah. Yeah, and so... Tell me about the first John's Incredible yeah. Pizza. You know, we, was, we, we bought this property on Bear Valley Road in, in Victorville, and I had had a restaurant there many years ago that I had sold, but, so I knew of the market, and I had been retired for, I don't know, a couple years. My goal was to become a single-digit golfer if I'm going to go golfing every day, and yeah. I'm good at it. <laughs> and after um, 
three, four sets of clubs, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, and 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 happened to cheat my score to even get down into the close to the single digits. I decided this wasn't for me, and so we. I decided I wanted to do something more. So I took what I knew from the Johns and the games that we had in the in in Johns, and and wanted to do something similar to what Chuck E. Cheese had done, but do a better job of it. No offense intended. But we wanted to bifurcate out the restaurant from the game room so you could sit down in the dining room, enjoy your food, and then have the, have the game separate. So that was the genesis behind getting the first Johns going, and, and we decided to put our first one in Victorville. Was the Because uh, I thought one of the ingenious factors when I stepped into a Johns was kind of if you're there, you're, you're eating, right? Because the admission is essentially like the buffet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was it like that from the beginning where you knew that people weren't just going to go to your arcade to play games, that the buffet was essentially the business model to get people to eat and play? It literally was. I, you know, I've had some not successes in my life as well, and I opened up a, a place called the, the Fun Factory in Ridgecrest years before that. Well, what's the Fun Factory? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was a it was a kind of a, a big game room, if you will. With back in the day, we had pinball machines yeah. and some um, um, pool tables and, and some video games, and and you put in this neat ice cream fountain. It was really neat, and we spent a lot of money building it and done it right and. A year and a half later, we went broke and realized from that that we made some major mistakes. And one of the mistakes was allowing people to come in and just hang out. Yeah. And what happened was the less than desirable, for lack of a better word, would come out and just hang out. Had no money anyway, but the people that had the money would drive by and say, I'm not going in there. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And so when we opened John's, that was part of my design from day one. If you come to John's you got to buy a buffet. And basically that eliminates the, the person that just wants to come in and hang out. Yeah. And that's so we've done it from day one and we still do that. We have some people that say, damn it, I just ate. I want to come in and play in your game room. We just say, you know, I'm really sorry. We have, we have rules and if you walk in, you can do whatever. And, you know, unfortunately they proven a long time ago the honor system doesn't work really well. The coffee can's always empty. And, and <laughs> well, if you hang out long enough too, you get hungry. You know exactly. What I'm and, and, and it works, you know, we try and make it affordable, but that's a big part of what we do. We try and put out a quality product, give them a lot of variety. Everything from your basic pepperoni and cheese to our John's famous peanut butter pizza. Everything in between. I was gonna wait till later, but could we talk about this peanut butter pizza as a quick aside? Who was that you? Well, you know what? Peanut butter pizza? Yeah, that started back in when I opened the John's pizza parlor in Ridgecrest. We didn't have any money and we're on a kind of a side street. And from from a marketing perspective, we didn't have much going for us from a budget standpoint. And so we just goofing around one day, and I, I've always liked peanut butter, and so I spread some on a pie and put some sauce on that thing and some cheese, and, and damn, it was pretty good. <laughs> and and so I said, look, we've got to promote this, and that will be our kind of our stick. That'll get people in this crazy town talking about us because it's the only place in town with a peanut butter pizza, and it literally worked. We had, the phone would ring, and a everybody from a drunk out in the local bar saying, hey, you guys got a peanut butter pizza down there? And send me one of them damn things. And so basically that's how it started in it, and it literally and configuratively stuck. You are, you are the original food beast. Are you kidding me? Like, yo, for real, this pizza, it has tomato pizza sauce, there's yep. peanut butter yep. sauce on it, 
cheese and just in case you didn't know it's a peanut butter pizza you guys include the actual shelled peanut on top on every slice is that well that was that's from day one as <laughs> as you know it's and that's what wasn't the marketing gimmick that's strictly out of out of um respect or fear or whatever because of the allergies of somebody oh. not. and so if a young kid comes up to that counter and I want a I want a peanut butter plugged on every slice, and we literally do. There's one there's one peanut on each slice of peanut butter pizza. Oh wow! And it's and it's and it's literally there's no parent who's going to make that mistake that way. And it's never been we've we've been doing this for twenty some years now, and, and fortunately so far. Do you eat the shell of the peanut? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. I was gonna get a weird one in there. Uh, <sighs> The peanut butter pizza. There's some. There's some wacky stuff in there. So that first location. Had you, or were you done with the first John's Parlors chapter? Was that over? Did, was those were those sold off or kind of? Now this was the big focus. Yeah, th- th- I had sold it. I had three of them, and I had sold them all. Okay. And sold my most sold a lot of stuff, and I was just clipping coupons for a couple of years, and ultimately decided I need to do something again. And so I wanted to do something uniquely different. Um, that really hadn't been done before and so we bought this property on bear belly road and our first john's incredible pizza company was uh, sixteen thousand square feet same format half of it was a restaurant with a couple themed dining rooms and the other half was a game room with bumper cars and, and a bunch of different games at the time what was what was your model that you could look at I mean, Chuck E. Cheese was around. Is that was that some inspiration? How much of that was inspiring you, and how much of it do you feel like? All right, we're doing something new, kind of scary here. This has never been done before. You know, there's really probably not a whole lot of new ideas in life. It's just iterations or versions of what someone else has already done. But I. I had read and traveled around the country and seen different places where they had added a buffet and, and um, it seemed to work well. And, and so I wanted to do something based upon the success that Chuck E. Cheese had had and still has. They're a nationwide chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do a, a better job in several ways. I wanted to try and put out a little better product, a little more variety, and but bifurcate it from the game room so you get rid of the, the noise level. And so that was kind of the imp- inspiration and, and that. and. I wanted to succeed. That seemed like a good idea to me. When, where, where, and when did I'm going to use the term like real rides come into play? Because when you go, when you go to somewhere like a Chuck E. Cheese or even like pit. even like a uh, Dave and Buster's, right? They're they're game rooms, and they they can be fun as long as you like games. Right. But the Twister that I saw, I mean, it's it, a ride. It's a ride. <laughs> yeah. It it's. I mean, it's a real ride, and it's and it, there are bumper cars too, and and but like that's a real ride. And when did that start coming into play for the, your locations? Um, day one, we literally put. I, I wanted to do something different in the game room, something that would be the, to more of a draw. And even in that smaller, my call it smaller, it was big at the time, but relative to what we do now, it was much smaller. But we put bumper cars in our first store in Victorville, California, in '97, and and that was. They were a huge hit because um, they're really cool. They put just enough air in the tires. You can run into each other. No one gets hurt, and, and they have fun doing it. And we made it part of your birthday party package. If you buy a birthday party package, you're part of it. includes a bumper car ride. And then over the years, as we got bigger locations, um, we added more uniquely different rides. We've got that Twister ride in, in probably eight or ten of our locations. Our latest store we just opened in Carson has got a really trick spinning toaster, which is awesome. And it's a figure eight that goes around, and as the figure eight, as your car's going around the figure eight, the individual car's spinning. How, so can you can you walk just for 
because I'm a nerd, but can you walk me through, is there like, are you going through the same permitting process as a theme park is? Because there's rides indoor in these huge locations and I've just never, I've never seen it. All the rides I've ever seen have been in carnivals or in theme parks and they're all outdoor. So was that something that you kind of had to pave and did you kind of not pay for it literally but is was there a ton of bureaucracy with just getting rides in inside of your locations um there still is <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's several more layers have been added over the years i guess as, as there's been actions throughout the country or whatever but we are governed by the, the state of california has their own separate uh, unique department that inspects rides and we have to do this uh, thing twice a year they come out and they inspect all of our rides and we have procedures that we must follow prior to even opening we have to have an engineer come out and sign off that that ride that wasn't designed to be sitting inside this building which the twister wide wasn't it was designed for a carnival ride outside um is you know is fit to be operated inside safely and so forth and so we have to get an engineer to do all that before we ever open we're inspected twice a year and we have to do daily inspections of each ride and we have to log them inspections in and have to have a certified person operating that ride so there's quite a bit of bureaucracy with AS. What's Victorville like for people that have never been to Victorville, and how important was opening that first location there? It was very important. I needed it to succeed. Um, <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's it's like the old saying in life: "I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better." Yeah, and I, need, yeah. I, I needed for that store to work <laughs> to continue my momentum. But it was really important because it was something that we hadn't really done before, and and it was a lot of people said, "Are you?" crazy are you sure what you're doing here and we literally built the first store uh with an sba loan um oh wow and and it, it it so it was very important it worked it proved that 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 model would work and so we went from there to bakersfield a year later and built a twenty-six thousand square foot store in, a, in, a, in an older strip mall there um and that worked and so we a year after that we heard about this great location in fresno california that had this big beautiful brand new building that had never opened it was going to be a, a grocery store yeah and before the grocery store ever opened it was a chain that come through california and went broke and a developer had bought it and ca kept calling me up so you got to come up and look at this property and and so finally one day i decided to drive to fresno from my bakersfield store take a look and pulled onto the property and about got goosebumps it just it was that good yeah location is so important in what we do and this had the parking it had a great field of vision and and it was fifty three thousand square feet Jeez. and and we said um three hail marys and let's go do this <laughs> so the the three cities that you opened up in first victorville bakersfield and fresno yep. um well, first of all, I think there's part of our national audience that may not be familiar with Victorville or or. I still think we need to dive in. Like, well, you're not uh, picking your LAs and yeah. Las Vegases yet. You're you're there now, but Victorville and Bakersfield, and I'm from California. Like to me, I, those are to me no man's land. I'm yeah. not from there. You know, so, no offense to our, and, our foodies, fatties out there. I just like what was that a part of the success? Is this is the draw in the town now? Like you're not competing with Disneyland. It's it's very simple. My first location in Ridgecrest, California was, people would say, where in the hell is Ridgecrest? Mm -hmm. And when I opened my store in Ridgecrest, it was a pretty scientific thing I'd done. Instead of doing a lot of demographics, I, I, I looked for a place in California in 1970, 
too that didn't have a pizza parlor in Ridgecrest, California. Yeah, literally didn't. It had a little mom and pop place that would convert their stove at night to selling pizzas, but there was no pizza parlor there. And I said, that's where I'm going. Hmm. I'm undercapitalized. I'm not sure what I'm doing, <laughs> but I figured, you know what? If I go to an area that's not a lot of competition, and so. It, once that works, it's hard to lose that. Yeah. And so was that a similar strategy it in was. relation to the where the first John's Incredibles open? It was. It, it, yeah, in a way, yes. Because two, two reasons. One, I knew Victorville. I'd been there for several years, and I figured the town could support it, and it was kind of off the beaten path, so I'm not competing with the big guys. And so that was part of the reason. And Bakersfield was a sip of the same, if you will. It's a mm-hmm. kind of a, a market that's not a real huge dynamic market, but it was certainly big enough for us and really really kind of put us on the map, if you will. How, how big of a life change was it after opening that third location when you were literally months or years previously retired and on a golf course to then expanding to a 53,000 square foot location and having three stores in three distinct different metro areas like were you were you were you ready for all that is that is that exactly what you wanted or did it surprise you um it was fearful (laughs) (laughs) it was you know each time we were rolling the dice you know i had done well in life but i mean i yeah i had a family i had two daughters one was going to usc and the other was going to loma linda and the expenses were what they are and you know i needed to continue succeeding and in, in, in fresno was the really big gamble that we took fortunately we were able to buy the property and 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 that allowed us to no offense to the bankers but we convinced them that we were worth more than we were and was able to leverage the value of the property that we'd purchased to even get the money to you know to build that thing we paid seven million dollars for the property and then put another guys over four million dollars so was into that thing for 11 million dollars huh. and and if it didn't work i was you know gonna be reading the want ads <laughs> so are you with 15 locations now do you still feel like you're gambling when you're op- opening up a new location is it is it is it very fragile to you or is it with more locations comes that stability with that experience comes more confidence um you know it, Unfortunately, more locations do come with more confidence to the point where, you know, I have a friend of mine that often told me, says, John, don't read your press clippings. And you don't want to read your own press clippings at times because it gets you a little too overconfident. And we've opened a couple of locations that have been less than stellar locations. And so, we're, yeah, it's still a very fragile thing. I mean, when you spend the kind of money we spend to build one of these things, it's not for the... It's not for the faint of heart, and we still take it very seriously, and we put a lot more effort in the demographics and doing all kinds of studies like that. But even with the, the quote, supposed sophistication that we use now, it's part art and part science. And, and, and so, yes, it's still a, a kind of a scary thing, for lack of a better word, yes. And I want to talk about that sophistication because the technology and efficiency that I noticed it's in the Westminster location. So the first thing that I noticed, obviously when you walk in or when we, I mean, we went at separate times, yeah. Eli, but we both went to the same location is you're walking in and there's a digital kiosk to kind of process your admission. Once I was past there, there's like dozens of different areas for pizza. Yeah. And then if a pizza wasn't available at that time, you could make a request and they had a person would literally push a button at that station and you get a fresh fired pizza within seven minutes. And then after that, I was 
uh, there was no one in line for the bumper cars and it was producer Izzy and I. And so we're like, yes, let's go on bumper cars. And we're like, oh, there's, there's no one here, but there's a button to call for an attendant. And so all of these things seem really, really efficient to where you don't just have people standing around. Um, the food is kind of fresh fired based on a needs basis. Um, there's, you know, there's not a lot of personnel you need at the front, even, even with tons of people. Cause there's, I don't know, 10 plus kiosks that are there. Talk about when you started implementing technology and how it's affected your business. You know, it's a huge, huge part of what we do. It all started back in, in, in Ridgecrest when I developed that first program that, you know, you took a dumb box, computer is really a dumb box, and you put some intelligence in it, and it gives you the ability to potentially do a better job of competing with the guy down the street. And as a businessman, I thought, I want to buy one of them boxes. And so we we were successful with our first iteration of that, the, the pizza delivery program for Rapid Fire. And I developed a love for software, obviously, and the, the love for what it can do to your, for your business, and have been doing it ever since. Um, we currently have five full-time programmers that go to work every day and write code for our restaurants. Everything that we do inside there is proprietary to us. Oh, wow. We've got... We've written several millions of lines of code to do the different things, everything from projecting by the hour, by the location, how many people are gonna walk through that door every hour. And in, in real time, we update that. We start with the premises of the, of a store is gonna have 50 people the first hour, 30 or whatever it is. But in real time, the, the point of sale system that's proprietary to us is talking to the computer in the kitchen. And if we miss our projections, either over or under, it corrects how much it's gonna put on the screen for the, for the pizza cook to put out on, on display. And that's pretty, pretty unique. No one else has ever really done that. In our, in our next door, we haven't, we've got the cameras in, but they're not, the code isn't done yet. Right now, we do have a, a touchpad, a tablet by each pie, so we can, when that pie goes out, they touch a button on there as well, and it starts the timer on that pie, so we know how long that pie is good for. And ultimately, um, if it runs out ahead of time, they can hit another button to get another one. But the, the latest iteration, we're putting cameras on our on our um, counter screen there, and so we can literally look at that pie and write an algorithm that'll that'll tell the kitchen when it's down to two slices, and the the time of the day, the projections for that day, when to put on another pie. And that's that's pretty cool stuff that most people. That's incredible, yo. That's I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I'm, I'm geeking out. I'm that's such a nerd that that like I, I'm harkening back to my childhood with this game called Roller Coaster Tycoon, and you basically control yeah, the yeah, part, yeah. and you are you are us. <laughs> you are the then. tycoon. You are, yeah, you're the tycoon. You get to do it. what other what other like little things would I miss going in there? Because that was fast. I saw that there was a tablet on the server side of of the entire buffet so every yep. pizza has kind of a tablet on the yep, other side well we, we've got them all over the restaurant we we also have all of our our management people and our supervisors are wearing you know an earbud with the motorola radio <clears throat> we also developed a program several different programs rides in the game room used to drive me crazy because in our quest to give it good service you can't afford to have a ride operator each of them rides on a weekday and so our option was well do you just shut down the rides on it slow and i'm saying no i don't want to shut down the rides and so we ultimately wrote a program that we put a little terminal that little th yeah the button that i saw yeah it's pretty sophisticated what happens after that because basically when you touch that it's a node in the network it sends a message back to the server 
in, in the server room, and that server literally keys up a mechanical mic um, and sends out a broadcast to everybody wearing an earbud that uh, a ride operator is needed at the twister ride or the bumper car ride or whatever, and that's pretty unique to, to do that. We had to do a little breadboard buildup to actually activate that Motorola mic, um, but it made us a lot more efficient that way. And, and by the way, if that ride operator doesn't get there within whatever predetermined time we put on it, it'll send a, a text message out to the, to the, to the manager that we're, we're not meeting our goals at the game in, in, at that particular ride. Does that allow you to become, because one, the idea of in this day and age, having these locations that are 50 and 60,000 square feet, being able to just work with the ebbs and flows of, the restaurant the business, restaurant, the like entertainment having, business. There might, like while I was there, while I was there last night, there was when I when I got in there, there were maybe like ten people in the dining room, and then you know, not even twenty minutes later, there was a hundred people there. So just being able to flow with that, does that allow you to be able to staff accordingly? Like I, I'd imagine. It well, that's a our number one line item is labor. We spend more on labor than we do food, obviously, in this day, especially in California. And ultimately, that's another program we wrote. We literally have a program that takes the basic premise. We take our projections. Everything starts with the projections. And then we build our schedule based upon them projections. And we have a computer that decides how many people are to be scheduled in at what time. And then the manager just fills in the slots that the computer prints out. But in addition to that, in real time, once again, all of our managers got a radio with a with an earbud in it and we monitor all of our punch records that are active and if if jose is getting ready to go into an ot status it'll send out a it'll broadcast a, out a message to the to the management team that that uh john or george or whoever is ready to go into an overtime status and or he's ready he needs his break in california you have to pay for uh, break violations and so forth so we've written a program to help us control that so yes all this sophistication does allow us to hopefully be more efficient than than the guy down the street is we've certainly invested a lot in trying to be when you when you came out of re <coughs> retirement um did you i mean because investing in a proprietary software no matter what it is pos um some of the some of the ride and alerts notifications that you mentioned the major cost isn't just the building it it's the maintaining of it did you know that you were going to do more locations so that investment into technology would be more worth it? Because I'm trying to imagine if you're coming out of retirement, you may do one store, you may do 10, but investing in that level of technology, I mean, it obviously is a game changer when you're 15 locations and you're five developers in and you can you know, maintain it across all those stores and get those efficiencies. But I'm just kind of curious about your mindset of, from day one, yeah, making well, that hard that decision to invest in your own technology. It, it really wasn't. It was something that I believed in from day one, and we literally, we kind of, we've grown with it. We had one programmer when we opened our first store, so we had a programmer since day since one. Since the inception. Yeah. Since its inception, we had Tom Rent work for years, an incredibly talented guy. I mean, people that write code, you... You, you got to really respect them because it is it's it it is literally part art and part science and it, it it's a craft and and these people that are good at it are it's it's amazing i i fumble through it i talk about it but i you know i couldn't write two lines of code if i had to but as an entrepreneur and a businessman i realized the value in it but we we had one programmer from day one at store one and then we and for the first 
two, three stores, we only had the one programmer and then one support guy. So we just, over the years, have kind of grown with it. Talk to me about malls, shopping malls, these big, lunking buildings that some of them are crushing it. Some, A lot of them are just, they're slowly and slowly becoming more and more empty. Um, how, how does that fit in the future vision of your company? You know, the last several stores that we've done um, have been in malls. Actually, Carson's not a mall. Carson was a former um, uh, Target, I believe. Not Target, but a Kmart. It was a big Kmart with a, a super Kmart with a food store and everything. It was a hundred and some thousand square foot building. We took 55 of it. But um, prior to that, the last few have been in malls. Um, you know, the, the malls of this country are, it's a sad thing in many ways. The Amazon effect, as they call it, has really taken a toll on them, and, and society in general has changed in many ways, but certainly the, the Amazon has been the biggest factor, and they claim that, you know, in five years from now, potentially 20% of the malls in this country won't be malls anymore, and that's, you know, really kind of a sad thing, but we, we certainly look at that as an opportunity, you know, one man's <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, but even with that said, you still have to be pretty careful about it because if this developer comes in and says, I'll give you this great deal on this 60,000 square foot box, but if the mall's not going to make it, it's not necessarily that great of a deal. So it's we still think there's a good future for that, though. Have you adjusted your marketing strategy <clears throat> at all? Um, because you're, you're building these locations in malls that have declining foot traffic so mm -hmm. i'm assuming that means that there's a high confidence level in your ability to bring people to your location regardless of if it's in a declining mall state or not so can you talk to me about how you market your company when you are in these places that you know will some of them have empty storefronts like a Macy's or a Nordstrom that are just completely empty. Yep. Um, and you're choosing to go in at that time. Uh, can you talk about the marketing strategy of those locations? Yeah, I mean, marketing has changed dramatically over the years, and we're not still not, we're we're not big enough that we're going to do you know a major TV rollout or anything. But we're mostly you know digital in one form or another. But we 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 look for opportunities. Our first example probably are are. Our biggest hit was when we done uh, the Buena Park Mall. The Buena Park Downtown Mall right there on the Palmo. It's a tired old mall. It had Walmart on one end and a Sears is now closed on the other end. And, and half the shops in it weren't doing that well. But the developer made me a heck of a deal. And the lower level had been decommissioned. And so we took the entire lower level of the mall, uh, which is 58,000 square feet. And incredibly such a big number yeah, <laughs> no matter how you slice and dice it it's a big number but ultimately it had what i looked for originally was a great field of parking um good exposure on a busy thoroughfare right next close by to knott's Berry farm um not not that that was my decision making the notch location really didn't matter as much as as the field of parking exposure and the density we look for density and the ethnicity mix and it had all them factors going for it and a landlord that really wanted us there and gave us a one heck of a deal and so that's that's how we went there and it's worked out very well for us for a business <laughs> that's strong enough to attract its own audience it feels like the where commercial real estate is now in 2020 you can use that to your own advantage for for better terms better prices more tenant improvements things of that nature and if the malls are also they want your foot traffic right because the yep. thousands of people that you bring in every week also 
might stop by at another store in that mall. So is this the golden age of John's incredible pizza? Because you're able to, uh, you're able to capitalize on lower rent, but also essentially provide a service to a declining mall. Potentially, you know, we're, we all look at our own personal vested interest and everything. And it's, it's, you know, we, once again, looking at the malls, there are going to be more malls, that more opportunities out there than ever. Whether or not it's the golden age or not, I don't know, because like I say, it's still kind of scary. And that if you don't pick the right mall, you, so you got this great big box at a really great price. But we're not so great that there's an old saying that you can make your own rain. We, 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 we need foot traffic. Um, it's certainly good exposure, good parking and everything. And for example, the Buena Park Mall did not have a lot of good foot traffic, but it had everything else. And so that ultimately allowed us to succeed there. Um, but I mean, it's, 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 it's still a, a, a rather tenuous situation going forward, deciding which, which is going to be that golden opportunity and which, which isn't going to be. And, and, and it's, you know, it's still, still to be decided. With the amount of people that are gaming on consoles and their phones, is it is it harder to attract the recurring customer at John's Incredible Pizza? Are you finding any difficulty with like kind of like the consistency of those customers? It, it is difficult. You know, every day it becomes more competitive, not only for the gamers of the world and and and, but in addition to that, it's there's competition everywhere. You know, we've been hit in the last several years um, by the confluence of there's a either a bounce house or a trampoline park on almost every corner, and they can go in with a small amount of capital, and they, they they've taken a bite out of us. If 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 you're a family making X number of dollars and you got three kids and you want to invite a bunch of a birthday party and you invite a bunch of people over, and the bounce house will let you come in there for X. And you don't have to buy any food, and you can bring a Peter Piper pizza with you or whatever. Um, that's 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 kind of a compelling argument for a, a mother that's or a father or a family that's on a tight budget. So that's mm. that's probably been uh, one of the competing factors that we look at, along with the gamers and everything else. So it's uh, the restaurant industry has the entertainment restaurant industry is a challenging thing to this day, and it always will be. How are you adapting with the new Carson store um, to try to meet uh, to try to meet kids and young people where they're at? I just pray more every day, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we hired Brad. <laughs> what up, Brad? Uh, yeah, because I, I have like it's such an interesting conversation because I hadn't been to a John's Incredible Pizza Company before yesterday, but it felt nostalgic walking into one. And I wonder if that's by design. And how do you balance that? Because that is an art. How do you balance nostalgia with new and old and, and all of that as, as things change? Yeah, I, well, the, the one premise that never changes is um, we're all, our core customers, mom, dad, and the kids. And people are always going to get hungry. And they're, they're hoping they're always going to want to go out and be entertained. And so ultimately, we've our, from day one, our, our goal has always been to provide something kind of neat, uniquely different for mom, dad, and the kids. Dad can come in, have a pizza and a beer. Hopefully, give the kids each twenty bucks to go in the game room. Um, and but everybody's happy, and they leave happy. And we try and design something that's fun and exciting, and 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 all the different themed dining rooms and the bright colors and 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 all the neat stuff that we do to try and you know 
put forth our effort to say, look, we we, we appreciate your business, and we're going to work hard to, to to earn your business, and we'll start by putting out a nice facility um, for you to gather in. I mean, but at the same time, too, the Carson location, from what I read, I mean, you already mentioned the roller coaster, which is crazy. Yeah. And if you have a story about how you put a roller coaster in a building, that's uh, yeah. that's crazy. But on top of that, I think there were VR elements as well that I read about. Right. There's a couple different. That, that that's the the coming thing now, and the, the the VR games and everything. We've got a couple different ones, and that industry is going through a. A change as well and more and more things are coming out but that, that them are not things we've developed ourselves uh, we've bought them and and we try and decide which ones we think will fit in our landscape yeah, yeah. landscape and our footprint and adapt to our customer base and so it's that's a kind of a, a, a challenge in and of itself is pizza the best food ever that's a serious <laughs> very serious question you think about it it's really it's wholesome. Yeah, I mean you've got all your your your, your food groups in it. You got your bread, you got your cheese, so right. you got your dairy products, you got some proteins. It's the best. It's absolutely the best, and and I'm wondering too because it's one of those. Is it recession proof? Is it like it, it's always? Someone was like, "Oh, is pizza hot right now?" I was like, "That's a stupid question. Yeah. Pizza's always hot." <laughs> like, talk to me about a time when it wasn't. And I think there's Out different. The there's different vessels. And you said earlier on in your in your life and in your entrepreneurship, uh, like delivery was a big part of your business. Yeah. Does it, I mean, does that not cross your mind at all here? And is I'm interested because. I think what's keeping John's Incredible Pizza Company special is the one thing that you can't Amazonify, like an experience right. in person, right. right? Like Domino's has got delivery down pat, yeah. um, and it's hard to compete with that at, at a value prop. So, does that cross your mind at all, or is it just all about experience and just owning pizza? <laughs> yeah, well, it's all about the experience. It isn't any one thing. If you go into our places now, you know, predominantly our names. John's Incredible Pizza, but we go through as much fried chicken as we do pizza in between, you know, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, a, a big salad bar, homemade desserts, and it, it's the whole package, but it's something that, that hopefully we can offer something that the entire family will like. Um, the little Johnny's going to want a, a little bit of macaroni and cheese and maybe a, a piece of pepperoni pizza, and he's good, yeah. but it, so pizza will still always be a dominating part about it, but we're always looking to create something in addition to that. Um, to, to offer that variety to the guests so we can get more people to come in and, and have a neat experience. Could, could John's Incredible worked with any other menu item? Like John's Incredible Burgers with an arcade and game room? Or do you think there's just a special combination between entertainment and pizza? You know, I don't know. It's because we're more than pizza, number right, one, and, sure. and 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 we are a buffet, and 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 so you pick items that kind of lend yourself to a buffet environment. The pastas hold up well, um, the mac and cheese, the the pizzas. Uh, these are all items that that kind of complement a buffet environment. They're items that we can put out. And, and still be competitive um you know we're nine something at lunch and ten something at dinner or whatever so we're competitively priced um uh, to come in and, and uh, could some other items work probably but pizza's what i know so pizza's what we do <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind me asking um how old were you when you came out of retirement to basically start this new business and career you're trying to age me here now, and, you know. And, and, and if I'm if I'm only 55 now, and I do the band backwards, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> it, 
I, I, I respect I, that. I, I, what do I say? I wouldn't have to know better, but too young to resist. I don't know. I just, I, well, because for, for the people listening, I think what's pretty amazing about this story is, uh, I mean, yes, you had worked within restaurants. Yes, you had experience to know that there was an opportunity, but the current state of your company with the 15 locations, uh, I'm assuming close to a million in square footage, um, that all came in this post-retirement aspect of your life. And I think that seems pretty impossible to a, to a lot of people out there who have had their own lives and uh, careers. Um, any words of advice for anyone who's looking to kind of start a new business? Um, Eli's Incredible Burrito Company. <laughs> We're going to collab on that. My, my advice, don't worry about a single-digit handicap. <laughs> you know, it, it, to each in life is different. I mean, there's an old saying, what's one man's bread is another man's poison, and I'm... I'm I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I'm addicted to what I do. I don't take regular drugs, but if I don't have some kind of a challenge, I can I start getting a headache. So retirement just didn't serve me well. It really literally didn't. I wanted to be more challenged. I wanted to do something, and so that's that's why I went back into business. And I will be doing some kind of a deal to the day I die, and and hopefully that's a long time from now. That's respect. Respect. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the next crazy pizza you're thinking of doing? And if you don't have one in the wings, what have you? What's is gummy bears? No. <laughs> what's next? You know, we we quarterly. What is our quarterly pizza now, Brad? It's a jalapeno ranch. Yeah. Yeah. I tried it, that yesterday. And, fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we try and do something every quarter. A lot of our pies are things that guests have come up with before and suggested, and you know, pretty much anything we can put on a pie we'll give it a try once and and so we've tried a little of everything i mean it's don't tell is me that, that a saying <laughs> don't tell me that we, that's a great anything saying. you can put on a pie we'll give it a try back in the day and in, in, in the first johns we even we had some crazy pizzas you know in the midwest sauerkraut's a big thing and so we had a sauerkraut and canadian bacon pizza which that i thought was incredible really good. didn't sell well okay it didn't sell well it's a we, bummer. Had a, we had an oyster pizza and and we had a lot of different things some of them worked some of them didn't we would do the math on it and decide which ones would stay and which ones would go but it's that's kind of the fun part about it it's not just the stage same thing every day yeah. we'll always try something new we should we should have this meeting like monthly I feel like. <laughs> you go. i'm like you know i'm not very the, good at the it pizza but, idea meeting. Yeah. but yeah. i could be really out of the box yeah. Like really out of the box. When I saw the peanut butter one, I was like, "Damn it, this is this is me." And then yeah. I, I so I, that's like probably one of the most interesting things, like that you put the peanut on there as like a allergy warning. It is, literally, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you know, it started out with just a peanut butter pizza. Now, basically, what the pie we put out has got peanut butter, pe peanut butter. Um, pizza sauce, pepperoni, and we put some uh, red peppers on it as well, just to give it a little bit of a kick, and, and just to make it a little more interesting. You're wild. Yeah. Well, continued success <laughs> to you. I hope there's. I hope. I hope the East Coast gets to start seeing some of these John's incredible pizza companies. Um, any uh, any parting words to people listening? Uh, yeah, be kind to each other. Number one, and the thing that I didn't mention is that you know I've been blessed with success all my life, but I've been blessed with success because I've had good people that that have believed in in me and my philosophy, and and I tell everybody all the time it's a we thing, not a we, not a me thing, and and I've got 
any number of people that have been with me 10, 12, 15 years. That's really why John's is successful. It allows me to sit here in front of the microphone like I'm the smartest guy in town, but I'm really just the luckiest guy in town. <laughs> well, John, thank, thanks, for, thanks for joining us on the catch-up. That was really fun. I'll look forward to seeing you guys around. Will do. Will do. Bye, guys. <laughs>